So, moving back to our uh, Growing in Grace series, uh, we, we started out, of course, seeing we are to become worshipers, uh, the, the first kind of step that God has for us in life uh, in following Him is that He wants us to become active, you know, participating worshipers of who He is, uh, that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And then uh, the last time we, uh, I was here, we uh, talked about that God wants us to become a student of Scripture and prayer, and that by learning the truth, the truth sets us free. It sets us free from ourselves. It sets us free from the, the lies of the world. It, it sets us free to serve God in, in ways that we couldn't uh, other than knowing the Word of God. And so this week, uh, continuing under the theme of becoming a student of Scripture and prayer, uh, this week's sermon is entitled, Put in the Work. Now, how many of you kind of know that phrase in life, put in the work? Yeah, it's, it's one of those phrases that when you hear it, it's kind of self-explanatory that there are things in life that we're just not going to be able to achieve, to have, to get, to be, if we don't put the work in ourselves. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter, you know, how much uh, we want it to happen. We have to put in the work. And a lot of people give a lot of talk about how much they, you know, would like something to happen. But if we don't put the work in to achieve it, then it's just words. And so this week we're going to look at just one verse, but it's one that is a, a really important charge that, that Paul gives to Timothy as he's giving Timothy instructions as Timothy's kind of operating as a pastor in the, the city of Ephesus, at the church in Ephesus, and he's dealing with a lot of problems there. He's dealing with a lot of uh, dissension, uh, a lot of, you know, kind of things happening in that church. And so uh, Paul's really kind of giving him instructions on, look, here's how you handle all this. You need to be faithful. And he tells him, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's not a light thing that Paul has given to Timothy. Paul has, has just kind of lifted up this whole thing uh, about his identity, uh, about uh, God's standards, and about his calling. And it's something that all of us together uh, really have to work on understanding. And so we're going to talk about identity. How does this verse kind of touch on our identity? Because he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Do your best. How many of you, when you hear that phrase, it's a positive reaction? How many does it evoke a negative reaction? And it can. Sometimes that, that do your best can really be a catch-22. You know, there are times in life, well, did you do your best? And, you know, kind of deep inside sometimes we know, no, not really, kind of didn't. I, I maybe gave it three-quarters effort, uh, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I could say I did my best. Other times we can say, yeah, I gave it my absolute best, and it didn't work out. You know, we kind of have this belief in our world today that if you just want it badly enough and you do your best, it'll always work out. 
How many of we kind of learn that's not the case? Sometimes you can give it your absolute best effort. You can want it with everything you got, and it still doesn't work. And yet, that is Paul's instructions to Timothy are to do your best. In a sense, he says, many times Paul says it this way, he says, make every effort. You know, make sure this is the thing that you really strive towards, that you put your best effort towards, that you make a part of who you are. And these words right here are why I entitled this sermon, Put in the Work. Because we are called in the Christian life to do good works. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is, By grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God so that no one could boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so we're saved by grace in order that we would do good works in life. There is a natural progression there, and that is the progression that we call discipleship. That is what God expects from us. And so, yes, we are saved first by grace. It is a gift from God. It's not something that we are earning. But if we are saved, in time, those works have to emerge from our lives. Now, this doesn't mean that we solve world hunger. It doesn't mean that we, you know, bring about world peace. These are not works that are outside of our ability or outside of something that God, you know, would expect. You know, I once heard somebody say, if God gives you a cup of cold water, he doesn't expect you to return to him anything but a cup of cold water. He does not expect the superhuman from us, but he does expect our best. He does expect the effort to happen. And so part of those good works is that we put in the work to become a genuine student of Scripture and of prayer. Because there's no denying that learning how to rightly handle the word of truth requires work, time, training, consistency. Anybody who who genuinely becomes a student of Scripture and prayer understands what I'm saying right here. The Bible is this amazing collection of 66 books of truth, of God's revealed truth to the world. But it's also a unique thing that takes some work to be able to understand. You know, it's not like opening up, you know, Tolkien's The Hobbit or something and just reading through and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of get it. The, the Bible requires effort. You've got to want the truth. You've got to be willing to put the time into it to learn it and that there is basically, with Scripture, there is a basic level of foundational knowledge that has to be attained before you can rightly handle the word of truth. There's a basic foundational level of knowledge. Now, how many of you in your work could, you know, that same thing applies? You know, if you're a mu- musician, there's a certain basic foundational level of knowledge that has to happen. Like, you need to understand the difference in 4-4 four, four and 3-4 three, time, right? If you don't, you're going to have trouble. If you don't have that basic foundational knowledge, then you're just going to cause more harm than you do good in the process. Even with the purest of intentions. You know, we can, I want to do this, I want it to be good, And yet, it just won't turn out. And too many times, we want to treat Scripture today, and I want to be careful how I say this, but we almost want to treat it like it's a spell book, magic. If I just quote this verse, then I send it out into 
the air and something good will happen. And so we, we, we quote these verses like it, you know, and it just has this inherent power that if I just do this, then this will work. And that's not what we're talking about. What is Paul's charge to Timothy? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be shamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There is a level of effort that all of us are called to in this. And so when he says do your best, how this fits with our identity and how we see ourselves is he tells us do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. A worker. Do, your, do you see yourself as a worker for God? You see, that's a whole different thing. A lot of times we want to come to God today, and I see this over and over, and it's becoming a, it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem in our culture in, in America today because we almost want to treat God like he is this cosmic ATM that if we just go and we punch in the right code, we get what we want. You know, almost like God is Santa Claus, you know, he's just there to just give us good stuff, and that's what, that's what his job is, and it's up to us to kind of crack the code of, well, if I say the prayer the right way, if I say the right scripture, then God's obligated to give back to me. That is not true. God is there, and he wants us to understand him and to know him, but what is our identity in this? A worker for God. See, God doesn't work for us. We work for him. And if we look at ourselves in life and we identify ourselves genuinely as one who serves and works for God, then that changes our identity. I mean, it does. We, it, it applies to who we genuinely think and know we are. And our sense of identity really impacts how we live. A person who has a sense of identity that's rooted in entitlement, they're going to live a life of entitlement. They're going to think that they're owed something all the time. A person who sees themselves genuinely as a servant is going to look for opportunities to serve. They're not going to look for opportunities to serve themselves, but to serve others. And so a person who genuinely from the heart believes they are a worker for God is going to look for opportunities to serve God. His kingdom will become the thing that we strive for and that we will put our effort towards. And God does expect effort from us. Sometimes we can get so focused on grace and what God has provided that we leave out the fact that we are called to do good works, and that requires effort. God expects us to put in the work for his kingdom. And there's no like short circuit way to do this. There's no shortcut. There's no easy way out of it. Uh, th- there's no like four steps to knowing the Bible. You know, I, I want to learn all of the, the truth of Scripture in the next, you know, 90 minutes. It doesn't exist. It requires years. It requires time. It requires effort. And God expects us to, to strive for it. Now, notice one of the things that temper this whole thing is he tells Timothy, do your best. He doesn't set like this standard that everybody has to get. He just says, do your best. Now, one of the things in our world that whatever reason, I don't know why, a lot of people seem to have trouble with today is that, listen, we are all equal in worth in God's eyes. 
We are not all equal in ability. We are not all equal in ability. Your best and my best are going to be two different things. You know what God doesn't hold you accountable to? My best. God does not hold me accountable to your best. He holds each of us accountable to our own best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best. You put your best effort into serving God, and that's what God wants, to, wants us to have. We don't compare with each other. We don't look at somebody else and say, well, you know, if I were really good at this, I would, I would be at this level, and we look at other people and want to judge. God doesn't do that. He doesn't compare us to each other. He just tells Timothy, hey, you do your best. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive. You know what that word strive means? Intense effort. Something that you are continually reaching to take hold of. You're striving. You're pushing ahead for it. And he says what? Strive for two things here, peace and holiness. Well, this fits into the the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says you've got to work for those things. And our identity comes from understanding what God has done for us. He has saved us by grace. And because we are saved, we are now free to work for his kingdom. Because we are saved, we are now qualified to work for his kingdom. That does not exempt us from the work. You see, salvation works in, in kind of two phases, okay? There's justification, and that is we are immediately declared not guilty by God. Our sins are forgiven. That part is done. We are accepted completely by God the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The instant we believe in him and we accept him into our lives as Lord and Savior, God says at the eternal level, in the eternal court, not guilty, my child, new creation, we're done. That part is over. And it happens immediately. But there's a second part to salvation called sanctification where God changes us, he changes our behavior, he gives us, and and we start living out the new life that he has given us, and sanctification requires time and effort. And it does not happen overnight. Sanctification is where God says, okay, now that you are saved, here's the work I want you to do. And because we're saved, we can do the work. You see, we can't be sanctified by our own efforts. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves better. But when we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then starts working within us. And this is where what I like to say is we cooperate with grace. The Holy Spirit starts to nudge. The Holy Spirit starts to push, starts to tell you you need to do this. And we say, yes, Lord, I will do what you command me to do. And we then put in the effort he calls us to put in and we start to grow, and we cooperate with the work that God puts before us. And we have to cooperate, and it requires the work. 
Psalm 119.11 says it this way. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is this something that you can say you have truly done? Have you stored up God's word in your heart? See, the idea of storing up means that we don't wait until we need it to find it. We store it up so that then in the day of need, it's there for the taking. What have you stored up in your heart? Now, all of us store all kinds of things in our hearts. Okay, we, we, we fill our mind and our heart and our life with all kinds of information. So the fact that he says, I'll store up your word in my heart, it's showing we have to choose to do this. Because, man, I, I can guarantee how many of us in here have our, our heart filled with useless sports knowledge? Look, I'll raise both hands. We, we can know it, right? How, how many in here have your, your head filled with knowledge of, of engines and, and muscle cars? Ladies, how many of you have your head filled with crafts and, and recipes? See, we, the ability to store something up in our heart is, is God-given, and it's there. Okay, we can store up. You know, I, how many of you movie quotes like me? I could speak a whole language of movie quotes. I just have a conversation with you in movie quotes, and it'd make total sense to another person like me. What the psalmist tells us is that we have to put the work in, in sanctification, to store up God's word in our heart. And it is only through that that we are going to be able, it says what? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, it's the effort of storing up the word of God that leads to the sanctification and the walking in righteousness that God requires of us. And so, so much is cleared up when we find our identity in Christ, when we understand who we are, that we are his workers. We work for his kingdom and we put the work in and the sense of responsibility that he gives us, we take it seriously. Because within this also is revealed is the idea of God's standards. And I, this is a message that I think this world desperately needs right now, and especially God's church. See, not only does this command that Paul gives to Timothy reveal our identity, it also reveals that God has standards to which we will be accountable. As his people, we are accountable to them. Now, when I say accountable, I mean God ex has expectations. And he's going to ask us, what did we do with the gift of grace that he has given us? Now, I'm not saying you lose your salvation or anything like that. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. This is the idea of what have you built upon the foundation that has been given you by grace? What have you built upon it? Because God does expect us to be builders for his kingdom. See, here's a key for the Christian life. We are forgiven. And so we need not live in fear of life or of making a mistake. Grace has covered every sin we have committed and will commit. Amen? It, we are forgiven. Just remember that. You are forgiven. So the point now is not earning God's grace, but learning to live within it. And as I said before, striving for holiness. Learning how to live 
according to God's ways, learning how to show discernment between truth and error, learning how to hear God's voice through his word. All of that takes time and effort. And so we are free by grace. And I want you to know that we are free. God is not in heaven with his people like, you know, like I said, Santa Claus, and you're on the naughty list or you're on the nice list. Which one is it? Oh, today they messed up, so they're on the naughty list today. And until they do something to get on the nice list, I'm mad at them. That's not how God works. Okay, he, he took care of all of his wrath for all of his people for all time at the cross. God's wrath was poured out on his son. God is not mad at you. He doesn't get mad at you. He poured that wrath out on Jesus. So everything God does now is for the purpose of sanctification. Is for the purpose of making us more like Jesus. And so, listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians that Paul says about God's standards here. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, we can, in a sense, because of grace, I'm forgiven of everything. I'm off the hook. I, I'm not going to be condemned because of my sins. And Paul says, that is true. Except now, don't use that as an opportunity for the flesh, for, for sin. Use that as an opportunity now to grow and build for God's kingdom in such a way that other people benefit from it. You see, one of the greatest turns that happens in the Christian life is that when we get saved, our life becomes less and less about ourselves and more and more about the kingdom of God and bringing our neighbors into the kingdom of God and edifying our neighbors within the kingdom of God. It becomes less and less about us and it becomes more and more about God and about others. And that's what Paul says here. He says, all things are lawful. Yes, grace has covered everything. We are forgiven for everything. We don't have to live wondering whether we're accepted by God. And he says, but not all things are helpful. You see, we go from thinking, and this is a huge point of freedom for the Christian life and power. We go from wondering, does God approve of this? To stop wondering if it's God approved and is this helpful? Does this edify? Is this leading other people and even me closer to God? And so we stop wondering if God's for it or against it, and we start thinking, is this just bringing me closer to God or not? And that is a huge shift that happens in life when we start to acknowledge God's standards are real. God's standards point us continually back to holiness, back towards Jesus, back towards the love that God has for us that he tells us to have for him and to have for our neighbor. And so the standard's not about being perfect, but about rightly handling the word of truth so that it eventually leads to others benefiting from my life. See, your life becomes an example of what God does with a person. And this is all tempered with what? Do your best. Do your best to enter into this. And so we have to ask the question sometimes, am I asking God to do for me things he's telling me to do for myself? You know, sometimes like, God, make me more like Jesus. And he's like, okay, 
do this. Well, but God, make me more like Jesus, then I'll do it. He says, no, do it, and you'll become more like Jesus. Well, but God, I don't, I can't do that. And he goes, no, not on your own. But that's where you're going to become more like Jesus because you're going to learn to depend on me in the process. So step out in faith, do the thing I'm telling you to do, and we'll work together. You'll cooperate with grace in this, and something's going to happen good. But a lot of times we get stuck right there, and we're like, no, God, just, just change me. Just make it happen, God. And he's like, I'm not going to make it happen. You're going to work with me on this. You will take that step of faith. Or it won't happen. And we just kind of stay there. And we have examples of this all through Scripture, but the best is the children of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. It was completely unnecessary. All they had to do is they, they'd already seen God act, and he said, okay, go take, command, go take control of the promised land. Go. Go do it. I'm with you. I've protected you. I, I split the Red Sea. I, I've had... My presence with you, I've provided manna, I've, I've shown that I'm going to protect you, just trust me and go take the promised land. And they looked at it and they said, no, nah, that's scary, God, I don't want to do that. And he says, well, if you don't want to do it, then you don't get to go. So y'all yeah, just wander in a circle now for 40 years and waste time. Oh, well, we don't want to waste time, let's go do it. And he said, oh, it's too late now. You see, you didn't act in faith. God expects us to take the steps he tells us to take. And there is a standard attached to this that we have to take seriously in our lives. God is not just always about grace in which he's going to approve of everything in our lives and tell us we're always right and everything's always good. When's the last time, nobody raise your hand on this, when's the last time God told you you were wrong? Because if he hasn't, you're not really talking to the all powerful, all holy God as an imperfect being. Uh, okay, there are times that we're going to, all of us, daily, God's going to be like, no. No. And we're like, but, but, and he's like, no, no. But, no. And if God is not disagreeing with us at some point, we're not following God. I mean, we're just not. And so, Paul puts it like this in Romans. It says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. See, he's already talking about, in, in Romans 14, about being free and what grace has done for us. And that, yeah, we need to live free and we need to live in that freedom and we need to serve God. And just don't let people, you know, don't decide what's, what's right and wrong based on other people's standards. You, in your faith with God, you just walk with him. And if you walk with him in that manner, then you're, you're good. And then he closes the discussion. He says, but you're blessed if you don't take that too far and think that God always approves of everything you do. You can live in freedom, but that freedom needs to be experienced in a way that honors the God who gave you that freedom. And so I love this. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If we pass judgment on ourselves, that means that we're looking at God's standards and we're making the call ourselves of like, oops, I'm not measuring up. I got to pass judgment on myself because I'm not doing what God said. 
And he says, it's a blessed place when we can start to do that in our lives and say, you know what? I'm walking with God. That's okay. I'm doing it. I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm not just approving things in my life. I'm not just walking in a path that is totally contrary to what God wants. Because there is incredible freedom in knowing that we are walking with God, that we are striving for his will. And this is what Paul tells us when he says, do your best to present yourself as one who is unashamed. Okay, the work that we put in, we're able to bring to God and say, yeah, I'm doing it for the right reason. I'm not ashamed of what I've done for your kingdom. I will present it to God as something that, that, that I have done that is real. You know, how many of you, you know, your, your kids or grandkids, you know, when they're, they're like four years old, you know, they work really hard on a, a coloring picture and they bring it and they present it to you, you know. It's like, look what I did. And you look at it and you're like, that's awesome, you know. And it's like this mass of color that you can't even see the picture underneath it anymore because they've just gone to town with it. But, you know, when they're four years old, you're like, hey, that's awesome, you know, you're working on it. You know, if your senior in high school does the same thing, what would you do? You'd look at it and go, what is this? Oh, I colored you a picture. Really? Why? Because standards. We know that there should be a difference in the child and the, you know, near adult in what they're doing. And I fear too many times we want to kind of stay that child with God that's like, hey, aren't you happy about what I did? And he's like, no, you've been a Christian for five years. You've been a Christian for ten years. It's time to do better. Yes, I was happy with this right after you got saved, but you got to grow. you got to move forward. And it's up to us to adopt God's standards for ourselves. God is not going to force us to. That is one of the things in sanctification on this. God is not going to force us. Will he discipline us? Yes, he will make it unpleasant. That's the Israelites wandering for 40 years. It's like, oh, you don't want to do what I say? Okay, now you get to wander in a circle. You enjoy that circle? No, we kind of don't like it. Good. Now go do what I told you to do. And by the time you get to the next generation, next generation is like, cool, we'll do it. We don't like this. So God will make it unpleasant, but he is not going to force us to do it. We have to decide God's standards are worth following. And being an unashamed worker for God means that we understand fully that our work is going to be put to the test. How many of you ever really thought about that, that God is going to test the work you're doing for him? Not in a legalistic sense of, Oh, no, you messed up a little bit here, and that's it. It's, it's gone. No. Did you build for real on the grace that he gave you? Did you follow in faith? Did you do this faithfully? And as he said to Timothy, did you do your best? Did you give God something worth giving him? You see, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. This is such an important verse. It says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, let's just pause. There's a big difference in what he just said, right? If you're going to build with gold, silver, or precious stones, 
or you're going to build with wood, hay, and straw, there's a big difference in what you're building. And he says what? Each one's work, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. You see, the life that we live as a Christian, he says, is going to be put to the test. God is going to test it and say, what did you build? Because fire as he says it in this passage, destroys what? It destroys wood, hay, and straw. It does not destroy gold, silver, and precious stones. Those can withstand the fire. And so we have to ask ourselves, what am I building on the foundation of grace in Jesus Christ that has been given to me? And what am I building it with? What am I building it with? Is it going to withstand the test when it comes? Because the test is real. I mean, when he uses an image of fire, he's telling us the test is going to put it all the way down to the core of what is there. What was it based upon? And when we base it on things that can be consumed by the fire, the fire will consume it. And it won't be left standing. And God is telling us there are these standards that he has for us that he wants us to strive towards, that he wants us to do our best. As we take on the identity of a worker for God, that we say, okay, God has, has brought me into the fold. I'm doing work for him. So here's the standard. If I'm going to work for God, this is what it's going to be, and I will accept no less than what the best I have to give for God. And I'm not going to compare with other people. I'm not going to judge other people's work. God will judge their work. I just know I will give my best. Whatever that best is. And so within that, we find a sense of calling. And I mean this. When, when I say calling, I mean a sense of mission. If we are workers for God that are called to, to meet a standard for God, then that means that there should be a sense of urgency to fulfill the work that God has given us. Do you feel a sense of urgency to accomplish the things God wants you to accomplish in this life? Because let me tell you, friends, this life is very short compared to eternity. This life is one grain of sand on a beach that covers the world. Eternity is forever. And he's saying that the work that we do in this short window, what we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ is what is going to stay with us for all eternity. And that's why he says there will be those who will be saved, but they're going to experience loss. They're going to realize that what they tried to build in this world was based more in this world than it was in eternity. And when this world is destroyed, their work was destroyed. And they get to heaven and realize, like, mm, I wasted time. That was wasted life. That was wasted opportunity. And yes, I'm, I'm born again, and I'm here in heaven. I'm not saying heaven's going to be less because of it, but it says the truth is going to be revealed of this. 
And so we have this sense of calling on our lives to fulfill what God wants us to do. And that begins by giving ourselves to the Word of God, studying it, knowing it, putting the work in to know the truth of God because we can't build anything for God if we don't base it on the truth. And it is so easy to allow the world to seep in and we think we're, we we have good intentions and we're trying to build for God, but we're using things from the world to try to build it. And yeah, we can get results in the short term, but long term, what it, it just doesn't last. That which lasts is built on the truth, has a foundation in the word of God. And that's why he says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who is unashamed, rightly handling the word of God. That rightly handling the word of God, that is huge. You see, at the end of this, he doesn't say strive and make sure that you, you meet up to this standard of perfection and all that. He just says what? Hey, just handle the word of God the right way in your life. It'll work out. Think about the power that's in that. Rightly handle the word of God and you'll be this worker who's unashamed that you can present yourself before God unashamed of what you've done. Unashamed of how you've lived. Unashamed of who you are. Not in pride and in belligerence or bold, you know, before God. Not in arrogance, but just unashamed. I rightly handled your word, God. You gave me the truth and I respected it. And I learned it and I applied it. And I did that over and over in life. And I built using the word that you gave me. Here's what I built. And we'll be able to show it to God and be unashamed of it. And it all comes down to this calling of rightly handling the word of truth. And to remind us again of what he said last week about the word of truth, John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This happens by rightly handling the word of truth. Now, how do we rightly handle it? We've got to learn how. You've got to learn what the word of truth is. You've got to learn how the word of truth works. You've got to learn how to apply the word of truth to your heart. And you've got to learn how to let the word of truth correct you when you get off, off track. This is a lifelong process. We don't ever graduate and like, okay, I got the word of God, got that figured out. Let's move on to something else. No, that is our calling. That is our calling is to continuously handle the word of truth correctly. Why? Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God will do that which nothing else in this world is going to do. And it's up to us to put in the work to learn how to handle it rightly. Because you know anybody can make the word of God say what they want it to say, right? Remember Satan tempting Jesus? He was able to twist that into where it, you know, he had Jesus killing himself. He would have had Jesus worshiping him. Using the word of God, he would have had 
Jesus disobeying the word of God. But Jesus rightly handled the word of truth and came back and said, no, you're twisting it. Here's what the word really says. And he quotes the word right back to him, correcting the twisting. Anybody can make the word of God say what they want it to say. It's those who rightly handle the word of truth that get the benefit of what the word actually says. And so that is our calling. It's part of what we want to accomplish here at Grace Family is to train everybody in how to rightly handle the word of truth. And so part of how we're going to do that is we're going to begin offering. We've had what we've called our directions class. It's typically been one-on-one. People take you through a curriculum, and it's been one-on-one to kind of train you in, in some of the basics, that foundational knowledge of the word of God, how to read scripture. We're going to start offering that as a class on Sunday mornings two or three times a year. And it's going to be like eight to ten weeks long. And if you have not gone through that discipleship program in our church, then we want you to sign up for it. And we will have that information for you shortly of when we're going to be offering. It's going to be in, in April or May will be the, when we offer it on Sunday morning. But if you have not gone through that, our goal is to have everybody in our church having gone through that foundational program to help them in the process of their discipleship. See, that's what we want to do as a church is to enable these things to happen, to create the situation where you become a worshiper and you become a student of Scripture and prayer. We have more steps we're going to talk about through this sermon series and what we're going to do as a church to help you accomplish it. But it's one step at a time of what we want to make sure we accomplish together. So that we are building rightly on the word of truth. And that we are worshiping rightly with the word of truth. And part of that worship is that we experience and partake in the Lord's Supper communion together as the body of Christ. Communion is a function It is an ordinance. It's one of the things the Lord commanded us to do. Baptism and the Lord's Supper as an act of worship together. You know, we don't go home and do the Lord's Supper on our own. It is something that we do as the body of Christ, acknowledging that we are the body, Christ is the head, and that we are only the body of Christ because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And so the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gathered with his closest disciples whom he called his friends. He said, I call you friends because servants don't know their master's business, but I'm telling you what's, what this is all about. And so to be a friend of God is to follow him in worship and in obedience. And he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body which shall be broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so today, we remember that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for us, was resurrected on the third day, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. So together, we take of the bread. And we drink of the cup.
Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this day. And God, I thank you for each and every person here. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you convict us and help us, Lord, to to put in the work, the right work. To be able to know, to rightly handle the word of truth. That we would each do our best. That we would raise the standard in our life to the standard that you have for us. That we would have that sense of calling and mission. That we are here to serve you and to build for your kingdom. Not for ourselves. God, I pray where any of us is is stuck. Where maybe our understanding is lacking or, or discipline is lacking. Or maybe we just don't understand why you you want us to do certain things, God, that you would help us to step in faith and to trust you and to know that you, you are never going to lead us wrong. God, help us to listen to you, to learn your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.